Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 239. This week, we talk with Lee Warwick about COVID-19. Trying to use the web without a user agent. Apple is killing the PWA. And why is it called a log? Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. Hey, Carl, let's get into the news. So for the first story, we have NFC-powered e-paper displays work without battery. How awesome is that? That is kind of interesting because um, a lot of us are familiar with e-ink displays. They're what powers uh, the Kindle tablets, the the e-readers. Plus, there's a lot of other just e-ink displays out there. I'm not sure if you've seen it, Jason, but I've got some uh, conference badges uh, that are e-ink yeah, I've seen those. Yep. And uh, when I go there, I can just kind of flash whatever I want up there. It's really cool to have. Well, these have uh, removed the need for you to power them as you're writing to them. Off the, you know, harnessing the energy in an NFC communication blast, it can both receive the information and power everything that's needed, including flipping that uh, all the different pixels on your display. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's a good way of describing it, by the way. Like the way that I always think of these things is like there's pieces of sand in there. This is terrible, but you'll it's just to prove a point. It's like pieces of sand in there where one side is painted white and one side is painted black. And all you're doing is flipping them, you know, which way. And that's why when when they're flipped, they take zero power. Only the flipping requires power and apparently it requires almost no power. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, you know, it it's this isn't just solely, you know, because we can do it, um, you know, batteries on these displays are a good chunk of the cost and weight. So by being able to remove a battery or the electronics to supply power, um, that really brings the cost of this down because they're not quite as cheap as you would hope for. There must be authentication on these things, right? Because I see, I'm just went, I mean, these things are, it's amazing how cheap they are. 41 bucks for this display and uh, it's on AliExpress. And they're showing basically using it for signage for in retail, you know, where it says, you know, whole milk is, you know, so somebody doesn't have to go around and I mean, they can change the prices in a much more automated fashion. But like if you're showing prices, could somebody just walk up and just change it? (laughs) Well, it's not, you know, this article doesn't cover that, but that is a good point. If you are um, interested in this for some, you know, one of your own projects, this would be a great IOT display. Um, You know, that's something to look into if you're concerned about, uh, you know, people uh, changing the messages on your signage. Yep. Yeah, this is uh, this is really cool. I'm surprised they don't use these on um, thermostats, too. They'd be really good to show like current temperature because it's something that doesn't change very often, you know. Um, Okay, so our next news story. I've set my user agent string to an empty string via an extension. Let's see what will happen. (laughs) So the first thing is... uh, this is a Twitter thread and a uh, blog article if you want to follow along. But uh, since the Twitter happened first, he went to uh, Twitter and immediately got directed to the old mobile site. 
um, instead of Twitter Lite. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's still functional. On Google Docs, um, it works fine, but you get a little browser, uh, prompt saying your, your browser is not supported. Um, on YouTube, he got that same message, but he couldn't dismiss that. Uh, he also got an older version of the site, which ironically is smaller and a lot snappier. <laughs> um, there's a, another forum software that brought a read-only version of the site that also broke the layout. So that was goofy. Uh, Google search also fell back to an older version. Once again, I, you know, I do like some of these older UIs as I'm, you know, seeing and recalling them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Google earth did put up a thing, but said that you could launch the app. Uh, anyways, uh, the iCloud's messaging, uh, was interesting. It says unsupported browser. You can use your current browser. Um, which was interesting because it was the only one that specifically said, hey, we don't know what you are, but you can still keep going. <laughs> and Facebook completely uh, was unusable. It brought basically to a page that told you to download Chrome or Firefox. And then uh, Messenger didn't work as well. Um, what was it? Medium. Uh, parts of it were broken, like the sharing links. So you couldn't um, you know, share to Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Um, the even getting the app button was broken. So my, so my initial reaction to all of this was, I mean, they should be doing like feature sniffing or I can't remember the exact phrase, right? I mean, that's what they should be doing, but then, and there's lots, there's lots of uh, packages to do that. Yeah. But then I saw the iCloud one and it, like you said, it said unsupported browser. You can use your current browser. You know, the more I think about this though, I mean, if you, if a new browser comes out and it doesn't work correctly, which might not be your fault. It might be their yeah. fault, right? If it's th- broken due to their fault, um, customers are going to blame you. Like I, I, they might, they're not necessarily going to blame their browser. So that makes this a little bit difficult for me to just say that like people are totally in the wrong for doing user agent sniffing. Um, but I, I think what developers should get out of this is they should probably test their site with this and see what they are relying on and just make sure that that's the experience that they want. I don't know. What are, or, you, what are your thoughts? I mean, is this so, just evil that they're, that they're doing user agent sniffing at all? Well, I, I, I think that a few of them perhaps make sense. Um, you know, looking back to where uh, I've written code that did this before, granted it was for an enterprise and we were uh, using that user agent because at uh, at the time, we couldn't properly detect certain capabilities. So the user agent string was the best thing that we had. And that was just to enable an auto logon feature to the mm-hmm. corporate intranet. So, um, you know, to me, that makes sense because it was the best thing to, you know, provide a better experience. The thing that I find uh, misleading is when you have somebody that has an invested reason uh, to tell you that you should use a supported browser. Mm-hmm. And those would be the companies that make browsers, you know, Microsoft, Google. Those are the ones where I find it a little bit harder to say, hey, um, you're doing, you know, something that's gives your customers value because it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, for some of the rest of them, I think that, you know, this was a dated technique that um, made a lot of sense a decade ago, but even then that we started having those different JavaScript libraries where we could do that feature detection. So if we really need something, you know, that brings it back on the developer. So for a few of these where, um, you know, you have a forum that goes into read only mode, what should a, f- a forum care about 
a new browser coming on the market. Right, right. And I, I like Twitter's response here where they showed um, the old mobile website. Like, I do, I do like the idea of, you know, you have this premium experience if, if there's certain features that, that quote unquote modern browsers have, and then maybe you, you fall back if maybe if some of that feature detection doesn't work, um, falling back to something simpler so that at least things are not broken. Uh, what would be kind of nice too, is if they gave a way of like, you know, forcing to the, to the new version, it's like, Hey, I, I I accept the risks, like take me to the new thing, (laughs) regardless of whether or not you think it's going to work. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't think about that with Twitter that it could have been like, Hey, you know, we really can't detect if you support these things out that way we're going to give you this minimum experience that we know is so, you know, that one, you know, I think is a, is a little bit of a different stance, but, but, but in this exact example though, they can detect every feature they need. Right. So, yes. So it is kind of ironic that they're just like, uh, yeah, we're going to give you this old mobile site. Like they literally like their code just isn't even checking for the features. Cause obviously the browser had every required feature and was able to respond. Yes. I support all these features. So I guess, you know, their, their response, while it appears to be one of the better ones is still a horrific. It's questionable. Yeah. Especially with such a simple site. I mean, Twitter is not a complicated site. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think the, the follow-up to this is really makes this more interesting. Yes. Chrome is phasing out support for user agents. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what is the real deal here though? Like they're not just turning them off like tomorrow, are they? So, um, I, I read this article a few days ago, so I'm going to have to refresh yeah. uh, my memory. But I know that they said that this is going to happen over several Chrome releases. What well, says Chrome so think, 85 and is expected to be released mid-September 2020. So I think right now we're around 79. And when this article came out, this also didn't take into account that um, there's because of the coronavirus uh, things that they're skipping some versions. So I don't know if that messes with the timeline at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is going to take uh, a few versions and they do have an alternative to that they're calling uh, client hints. And that's to once uh, again, like we were talking about these, this will be an official browser way of getting the capabilities of that browser mm-hmm. without having to, you know, lock in on this user agent. Um, you know, Google has notoriously uh, done a lot of uh, blocking or uh, putting up erroneous messages when it comes to user agent sniffing. Um, like the new edge is based off of Chromium. It has all the capabilities, but um, as it was going from, you know, the alpha phase to actually being released, Google sites actually started blocking the user agent string mm-hmm. on, of the new edge. So, um, you know, they may have had their reasons for that, but at the same time, it's really fishy when it is the same renderers that are, are giving the same experience. So, yep. And then we'll also include a link to the, uh, proposal here, um, in the explainer. It's actually very, very comprehensive. I mean, obviously anytime something like this is proposed and implemented, it has to be super, super complete. So there's like a whole phase out thing here. Um, it's very, very, um, complicated and well thought through. So, um, everybody will have plenty of time to, uh, to prepare for this because there's basically additional information that you can, uh, that, that you can take a look at for the time being. Um, and then it looks like the actual phase out will, will be a little bit later. So that's good. Okay. So why is a log called a log, Carl? Yeah. So 
as a developer, we're very familiar with logs. It's mm-hmm. the text that we ourselves spew into these text files to give us all sorts of information about what's going on with our applications. It's our way to give ourselves little debug notices or messages that help somebody in the future, you know, troubleshoot an issue uh, that they're having and, you know, allows you to come up with the fix for it. Um, but why do we actually call it a log? Good question. Uh, when you hear when you hear log, you think, okay, that's that big brown thing uh, that's outside that fell over and is now, you know, crushing my garage. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what happened was in the 16th century, there was uh, some pretty advanced sailing going around in the world. But we also didn't have things like GPS or a lot of other ways to measure where we are or how fast we're going. So sailors were able to find out if they took a chunk of wood, attached a string to it, and tossed it behind them, they could figure out um, how fast they were going. And they would write them in a journal, which they would call the log book. Mm -hmm. And eventually the log book got shortened to log, and that's why we call it a log. I just thought that was really interesting considering how much as a developer we deal with um, either logging things or debugging via log messages. Yep. And I had never really thought about it before. And then I remember there was uh, Log4j, Log4net. I guess there still is, but um, back, you know, when those first came out. And then I remember using a tool called Chainsaw, which would help you cut (laughs) through the logs. And uh, it was like a log viewer. Um, And I thought that was a clever name. Apple kills third-party cookies and potentially even PWAs. This is not good, Carl. Not good. Yeah. So we all know that third-party cookies uh, are really how a lot of tracking happens on the internet. And that's the ability for um, me to have my website, msdevshow.com, and we don't do this, but if we allowed our advertisers to set cookies, then those cookies would not be from us, and they could see how um, many people visited the site through their their own statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a lot into blocking third-party cookies. Some browsers like Brave um, are, are pretty privacy-conscious, so they do a pretty outstanding job. Um, blocking these two part third party cookies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the problems is if you have a universal uh, login system like uh, a Gmail ID or a Microsoft account or a Facebook or a Twitter ID, you can use those logins on multiple pages um, on sites that don't even uh, belong to them. Um, and those generally work by third party cookies too. So, kind of what browsers had been doing is when you block third-party cookies for tracking, they don't really block all of them. There is some sort of whitelist that happens that allow like your universal login systems uh, to work. Um, one of the problems is now, though, um, Safari is blocking them all completely. What that means is, yeah, these extra features aren't going to work, Um like those universal logins, but that also kills a lot of the capabilities of a progressive web app to be installed as an application. Mm-hmm. Um, as part of this, what it also does is it removes all data after seven days. So if you have an application you use once a month, um, the data is going to be wiped every week. So PWAs, uh, without the ability to, you know, log in via third parties and you know have their memories wiped on a weekly basis. Well, I think it's, I think it's after like, it sounds like it might be seven days of non-use, 
So basically like if you, you know, um, if you use a, a PWA and then, and then go away for seven days, I think that's, I think it gets renewed every time you visit it. Yes. But like I said, there might be a, a case where I think a perfect one is I go to my cell phone provider once a month to get right. an e-copy of my bills so I can file oh, my expenses. Yeah, that's going to be annoying. Like if, if they had an application that, or, you know, a shortcut that I could install the PWA and for some reason I could get there faster. Mm-hmm. But Apple blocks these capabilities. Like it wouldn't be useful for me to have that as a PWA installed because I would only use it once a month. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Hopefully they. Yeah. I mean, I, I I always wondered why they weren't trying to kill kill PWAs, and I guess now they are. So, <laughs> and they're going to be successful. That's the problem. I mean, it's going to work. I don't see how it's not going to work. Um, they have to be. They're like one of the major platforms where you'd want to actually use a PWA. So. Yeah. Now that React Native episode is uh, extra important. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in addition to there, there might be other technologies um, that can be used to replace these that are being come up with and haven't been announced. So Apple may already be working with, you know, all the different browser providers to say, hey, third party cookies here are completely gone. Here's the few benefits, here's our ways of replacing that. There could be something like that just around the corner. Right. Although even if that were the case, that does seem a little bit odd um, that we wouldn't hear about them both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And specifically I was talking about the, the local storage. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think that'll get renewed every week. So like if your cell phone app, if you went every, every week, then it would renew it. But um you know, so for those frequently used app that apps that works great, but it's just going to be really frustrating. Yeah, for something you if PWA that you've pinned to your home screen and only use like once a month, that's going to be really annoying. Like, why do I have to log in mm-hmm. again? Which of course makes people want to use native apps, which is what Apple wants. Now we're sitting down with Lee Warwick, full stack JavaScript developer at Realtruck.com. Previously worked as a registered nurse in the ICU and ER. And before that, he worked as a firefighter and parametric paramedic. I keep saying that doesn't matter. We're just going to keep moving on. I can't say the word paramedic apparently. And he is also a fellow podcaster at techjunior.dev. So T-E-C-H-J-R dot D-E-V. So uh, super awesome. So Lee, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So what does your podcast cover? Oh, so uh, yeah, Tech Junior is uh, not just for junior developers. It's kind of a podcast that explores uh, a lot of different topics. So uh, we're JavaScript developers as hosts, but we also jump into like PHP here and there, uh, maybe C sharp Java, uh, all that sort of stuff. But it's more of a um, like come in with your white belt mindset. So uh, everything is new to somebody. So Mm -hmm. um, we like to kind of break things down and make it accessible to as most people as possible. Hence the the junior in the title. Yeah, that's actually really great. Because I, you know, what Carl and I have found over time is, you know, people listen to a lot of these things because they just, you know, they're, they're new to the technology. So they're going from zero to whatever. And I'm sure we've all had this experience where we go into, we go to a conference and we go into a presentation and it's like, you know, here's how machine learning works. And they're like, yeah, how do you choose between this algorithm and this algorithm? And, you know, we're all like, wait, what, how does machine learning work? <laughs> so, I mean, we, we all can't master every technology 100% of the time uh, or even get close to any of that. So um, starting from zero is, uh, is definitely preferable. So that's pretty awesome. So everybody should go check that out. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, okay, well, let's jump into the questions. Um, so I, we're going to be talking about like 
you know, coronavirus related things and, and like, you know, kind of the tech industry and reacting to it and how things are changing and those types of things. I don't think we're going to be even pre be pretending to really give like any medical advice, but I still want to say, you know, we're definitely not medical professionals. So there are much, much better places. If you want to get like official guidance and recommendation, um, go out there and basically just don't believe a word that we say. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, trust, but but verify the phrase, right? (laughs) Yes. Yep. So, so tell us a little bit about your background. Cause it's, it's, I mean, there was a lot in there. Like that's, that's pretty awesome. Not, you know, it's, you know, for, for me personally, it's always been like, Hey, what's your background? It's like, well, I worked in tech and then I did some more work in tech and then I did some work in tech. Um, but you have like a, you know, a much, um, more broad background, which is super cool. Yeah. Uh, maybe you would call it eclectic, uh, to use a, a cute word for it. Um, so I started out um, as a college student uh, going to University of Florida, and I wanted to get into computer science. But um, the college courses that you take for that are, are very high level and, and kind of broad. And they'll start you off with like binary and hexadecimal and really stuff that you're not very interested in if you want to write software. So um, I kind of fell out of it from there and then moved into actually Japanese language as a major. So uh, I did that in college and graduated with that degree did a, a year in Japan as an exchange student and then came back to Florida and um, kind of thought, well, I don't want to live in Japan. So what can I do now? And my father had been a firefighter for 30 years. So I decided to pursue that, went to school, became an EMT, a medic, um, all that good stuff, worked in the field um, for almost five years. And then uh, a lot of the people that I was working with were going to nursing school, trying to better themselves and, you know, kind of improve their salary. So I did that, um, went through nursing school, became a nurse, worked in the ICU and ER, which was kind of a natural progression for somebody with a a paramedic background and did that for about three years. And then I I just really got burned out by healthcare. Uh, It's a, I don't want to say it's a dumpster fire, but it's a very stressful field and there's a lot going on in that space. So, um, you know, compared to technology, like uh, it's such a huge difference uh, between the, the two jobs, but. I went through a coding boot camp because those had become a thing by that point. Um, went through that, got hired uh, right out of that into a big financial consulting company, and then um, worked there for a little bit, and then got hired on at, at Real Truck. So uh, it's been quite a journey uh, yeah, to answer your question. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you have kind of an, an interesting background with that medical thing and today's current events. So. I, I was wondering if you could kind of look at kind of, I mean, I, I'm having a little bit of problem starting this discussion because I had some initial thoughts in my head about a week ago when we first started talking that about you being on here. And now that you're here, so much has changed. So maybe if I just leave this a little bit more open ended and just say with the background that you have both in tech and in healthcare, you know, what is your perspective of on where we're at and maybe what's going on despite all of the information that we have both accurate and inaccurate out there? So it's a, it's a pretty interesting thing. Um, I'll say that from my perspective as a nurse and a responder, um, first responder previously, uh, you, you see this kind of stuff every time there's a big scare like this. So um, years ago when I was on the road, there was a thing where, 
uh, they were worried about, I forget what it was, Ebola or, or something on like lettuce or something like they were called lettuce or spinach or something. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're on shift and you start getting calls for, oh my God, I ate lettuce last night or something. And now I, I have an upset stomach. Please take me to the hospital. <laughs> so um, you can imagine when the president jumps on TV and he goes, we're going to shut the country down because of this virus, like the mass panic that that triggers. So um, regardless of the actual danger, which I think we're still discovering as this thing progresses, um, people are freaking out. So, um, we've seen that, you know, on store shelves or, or empty. I posted screenshots to Twitter where like they've literally bought all the ramen in, in Walmart, you know, <laughs> uh, all the toilet paper is, is gone. So, um, I don't really think that people are kind of handling this with uh, a sound mind. I think there's a lot of hype around it. That's got people just going nuts basically. And the medical facts are still developing. Um, But at the same time, you know, the government can kind of do no right in this situation. Either they they underplay it and say um, it's not a big deal. And then, you know, people come out and say, like, oh, my God, my grandma died from this thing. What are you doing? What do you mean? It's not a big deal. Or they say, shut the country down. And people are going, you're destroying the economy. You know, I got laid off from my job. What are you doing? So, um it's kind of easy to play Monday morning quarterback to it, but um, responding to it is very difficult. Uh, the The government is kind of a broadsword where a situation like this might need like a scalpel. So um, it, it's just a, a big challenge, I think. And, and it's really interesting from our point of view to see how this thing is developing. Yeah. And people, well, people are I really like, Oh, go ahead, Carl. I, I really like the anecdote that you had though uh, about, you know, previously when there's been like, uh, lettuce, op- you know, outbreaks where there's contamination there, and the parallels to the current day is like people freak out. It's just that that freak out hasn't hit that you know the state of where it is today, and, and to me that really kind of just grounds that like this is how people normally react. You know, we when we feel that we're losing control, we have to control something, and that might be, hey, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to go to a doctor because they're the expert. Yeah, I was going to say something really similar, which is just like people are just scared. Like, there's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's just like a really weird feeling around things. You know, my wife, she she went back to school um, this year. And then last week she was on spring break, which means that she would be probably sitting around the house not doing much. But now we're supposed to be sitting around the house not doing much. <laughs> and she's not <laughs> handling it very well. <laughs> I mean, like none of us are. It's kind of, you know, like I work from home. One of my kids, he, he does, um, uh, online school already, <coughs> excuse me. And, um, so like the cha- the actual physical changes, like aren't that much different. And then we went out, we went for a hike and things like that, but like, it's, it is just like this general feeling. And then what you were talking about earlier with like people having symptoms that totally rings true for me. Like I've had, um, like a sore throat, a headache. And then my, my oldest son, like last night, um, he basically has like the exact symptoms of coronavirus. It's just like, you know, he had like a headache and, and a fever and he's like looking up the symptoms and it's like, Oh, dry cough. And he's like, yeah, I think I got that too. You know? And then today he's feeling better, but like everybody in the house, there's like different colds and stuff, which is all like totally normal. But, um, you know, it just has everybody like, I think our brains are just kind of working overtime and freaking out, even though, I mean, I don't think we specifically have anything major to worry about, like in our actual house. I mean, as a, as a world we do, but, um, but yeah, I mean, just people, people are just scared right now and they don't know how to handle it. And like, 
hoarding toilet paper seems to be like one thing that people can control. They're like, yes, I got my toilet paper. So that I think that was the thing that, that I had to do to be, to be all set. So I don't know, personally, I found it more, certainly more difficult to work from home. Um, and there's other stuff going on in the house and, and things like that. So that's not really a question, but just lots of comments from me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll say that there's a lot of um, kind of armchair doctors out there that are reading mm-hmm. WebMD and stuff. Like, you know, you mentioned uh, your son um, looking up the symptoms for coronavirus. Uh, the The main thing to take away from all that is it, it doesn't really matter if you catch it or if you don't catch it. It's um, how, how greatly does it affect you and do you spread it to somebody else? So, right. um a lot of people are kind of missing this thing and they, maybe they're, they're thinking we're living through some kind of like real life zombie movie or something bananas. But um, you mentioned like flu and cold and stuff, and there's mm-hmm. hundreds, if not thousands of different strains of that virus and many, many different viruses that can make up um, what we would call a cold uh, and, and different, you know, even bacteria that can cause that. And for us, like we just called a cold, we're out for a few days or feel under the weather, uh, go through a box of Kleenexes and we're done with it. Um, coronavirus is kind of the same, but also a little bit different from that. So, uh, it has a lot of the same symptoms like you, you mentioned, but, um, it does a few things a little bit, uh, differently than, uh, the regular flu, which is kind of causing this big panic and big reaction from the government. But, um, at the same time, like the majority of people are just either a, not going to get infected with it, um, or B, uh, they're going to have a very, very mild case of it. So mm-hmm. uh, they're going to have the sniffles or feel under the weather, or maybe have a fever for a day or something. And that'll be it. Um, the real problem with that is there's a lot of people in you know our society that are more susceptible to this thing. So people that have any kind of respiratory disease, uh, maybe you've got asthma or bronchitis, maybe you smoke, um, maybe you've got uh, some comorbidities, so you're diabetic, or you have high blood pressure, or you've got lupus or something. Maybe you have cancer and you're taking chemotherapy or something like that. All of this stuff can make you more susceptible to um, this virus and give you a harder time with it, or even potentially, you know, open you up to more opportunistic infections and kill you. So I think that's where the the big fear is, and also at the same time, like the part that people aren't taking seriously. So uh, like. Here in Florida, we had a, a news story hit um, where we had these screenshots of like Clearwater Beach that was packed full of people. Yep. And it's a bunch of spring breakers, right? And, you know, kids are probably hearing this report of, oh, well, if you're not already sick or you're not, you know, don't have all these risk factors, you'll be okay. But what they don't realize is you're going to help spread that virus. And when you spread it to other people, they spread it to two people who spread it to two people who spread it to two people. Yep all of a sudden all these people are infected and overloading our, our medical system. So um, people don't even realize like what is in an ICU and what those people do. So, you know, they don't realize that we have limited resources and even the normal flu season can overwhelm our, our local hospitals. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's kind of a a lot out there. Raygun crash reporting provides automated monitoring software for your entire tech stack, giving you better visibility and code level diagnostics into the errors and crashes that affect your end users. Raygun is a more sophisticated alternative to logging errors. While logs provide you with an overwhelming stream of information, Raygun finds then groups errors based on root cause. The easy-to-use dashboard gives your team members a manageable list of bugs to fix in real time, ranked on frequency, or by the number of users affected. Getting started takes minutes. 
Simply select the language and framework you wish to monitor and add Raygun into your code using one of their lightweight SDKs. So what are you waiting for? It's time to control the chaos around solving software bugs in your own application. Deliver better software experiences for your customers with Raygun. Visit raygun.com to find out more. Yeah, luckily the, the people listening to this podcast, I think in general, probably are pretty good at understanding sort of fundamentals of math. So I think they understand. <laughs> I would think everybody listening to this would understand the rate at which this thing could get out of hand and, and, and overwhelm hospitals. So I, I definitely don't want to, uh, I don't want to, uh, to focus on that. But I, one thing I do want to bring up that, that um, I think was really powerful. I actually work with some people that are high risk, that the only reason I knew they were high risk is they came out and said, hey, uh, just so you know, I'm high risk. And that was really eye-opening for me because everybody listening to this podcast probably knows somebody who is high risk for one reason or another. Um, in this case, like we had somebody on the team who has had uh, multiple kidney transplants, um, but you don't know that whenever you're just talking to a person, you know, like for all, you know, I could have had multiple kidney transplants or whatever and be in that high risk category. So, um, it might, this, this whole thing might be way more serious than what, uh, than what you even realize. Um, it's like, Oh no, I only hang out, you know, there's people on the beach. I only hang out with these people, but, um, you know, there could even be, and there probably were like even just high risk people there, even though they were, uh, younger. So just, just everybody keep that in mind. It might be, there might be, um, some of those cases. And, and uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you a little bit, Jason, on mm-hmm. one thing, you know, I think you're right in the fact that most people in our field are good at math, mm-hmm. but the math about this isn't obvious when you kind of look at it. Uh, I was looking at some just infection simulators, so it's not about this one in particular, yeah. but if you have, have like an average, uh, you know, quote average infection that you infect two and a half people over the course of five days. That means in a month you would infect 244 people. Yeah. If you reduce that infection rate to one and a quarter people over five days, you infect four people in a month. Yeah. That is, that is crazy. So so it, it really is an exponential thing versus a linear, which a lot more people have a hard time just getting the you know back of the napkin mental model correct when it comes to this. So I think that's that's even where you have smart people, you know, just missing the mark a little bit, even if they're still doing the right things for yeah. the right reasons. Yeah, I guess I guess what I was thinking, I think there's there's two sides to that coin. So the the first side is that I think anybody who looks at the chart and sees that like the number of people infected is doubling every day, <laughs> like it's pretty obvious. Like Hmm. That's going to be kind of crazy. Um, I mean, anything that doubles, like there was, there was that one like riddle, right. Where, um, or it was, I don't know, it was just a story where the guy said, Hey, you know, just give me, um, a piece of rice for the, the, you know, for the first box of a checkerboard or a chessboard. And then for each one, like just keep doubling the number of pieces of rice. And of course it's like, you know, infinite rice near, you know, it's like enough rice to like fill the universe or something. Um, you know, that's the type of uh, growth rate that you're seeing. But yeah, the other side of that coin is like you said, if you infect, if you can reduce that contact, um, that is, I mean, that, that, that did not feel intuitive to me. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right on that, Carl. Also throw out there that, um, there may be some people out there thinking that, Hey, I don't have symptoms and I'm not running a fever or whatever. So I'm okay to go out and, you know, mingle in the public or whatever. And the thing about that is, um, 
a lot of people don't realize, but your respiratory tract and your GI tract are full of bacteria. So um, your lungs right now have a lot of like flora in them that mostly are harmless bacteria or even protect you from um, opportunistic or bad bacteria. So you may have that coronavirus like floating around in your body, uh, like in that respiratory tract, uh, in your esophagus or whatever, and you don't even realize that it doesn't infect you, but you could cough or something in public. Maybe, you know, it's allergy season, so you get a little tickle or something and cough in public. And now you've, you know, made that thing airborne and it can go and actually infect somebody. So, um, people really need to take the the quarantine seriously. Don't go out to nightclubs or whatever. Don't go to the bar. I mean, they're all shut down in my state, but you know, don't, don't go out there and ignore the warnings uh, just because you think you're not infected or you're okay. Uh, it, you can still be a vector for the virus, even if you're not showing symptoms. Absolutely. So, go ahead, Carl. Um, I think that pretty much anybody who's listening to this podcast, that's, uh, an active developer pretty much overnight became a work from home uh, employee, um, which is a pretty dramatic shift. I don't know what the percentages of work from home versus, you know, go in are, but to go to near 100% overnight has just been kind of, you know, very interesting to see. You know, have you had any thoughts or observations about this, you know, quote, sudden trend that we've all been forced into? Uh, yeah. So, Actually, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, I, I used to do uh, some partial work from home stuff anyway. A couple days a week, I'd stay home, you know. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of developers out there. But now <clears throat> we all are mandatory, uh, mandatorily working from home, um, and that's that's a big shift. But also, uh, I think you're not really like if you are being told to work from home right now, you're not really getting the realistic experience of it because I think. In normal situations, if you're working from home and there wasn't this pandemic out there, you know, you may work from home for a few hours, you may go out to a coffee shop and and work, mm -hmm. or you may get off of work and then go do something with your family, travel and work from wherever you're at during the day, and then kind of adventure at night. Uh, there's a lot of flexibility to that plan. But when you're under quarantine, basically, or, or self-quarantining or social distancing or whatnot, uh, you're pretty much stuck in the house 24-7 unless you're going out to get essential stuff, which, you know, this, the shelves are bare anyway. So um, I think there's a lot of people probably at this point going stir crazy. Like I've seen a lot of activity over developer, you know, chat rooms and stuff kind of jump up. Um, I've seen a lot of people jump on Twitter and kind of start throwing out all these memes and stuff, like how crazy they're going being stuck in their house. So um, if you're working from home now and you're kind of hating it, uh, just maybe take that with a grain of salt and kind of remember this isn't really typical for that situation. So um, if there's any silver lining, I guess it's that in, in combination with uh, all these companies now have no excuse not to let people work from home. So uh, I'm kind of curious to see how many teams shift back into the office after this thing ends. Uh, yeah. that, that'll be a pretty interesting thing to see. Yeah. You had some really good points there. I didn't even think about that being able to go out because I keep seeing all the, this advice and I think it's really subsided, but it happened right away. Like here is how you work from home and <laughs> don't listen to any of that. It is such BS. <laughs> like, like all of them are. And they're like, start at 8am and finish at 5pm and dress up in a suit and take a shower at this time. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, how about you just do whatever works for you? Cause that's kind of the point of this whole thing. Cause that's what I did. Right. Like when, when this whole thing started, I mean, I do the, the, the only like real rule that I have is like my doors here, like if my door is shut. 
like during the day, that means I'm working stay away. And they understand that that means that I'm on a call when I don't have a call, I will open the door so that they know, okay, now would be an okay time to interrupt. Other than that, pretty much anything's on the table. Like the time that I shower can really vary. There's, there's times when I, uh, I'm so busy, I end up having to schedule it, um, which is kind of crazy. Um, and, and like I said, in the beginning, like I was, I had this very strict schedule, but then I realized like my, my wife, the one day she said, Hey, let's go to the, the let's go to the park. And I was like, I, well, first I said, no, I'm like, no, I'm working. I'm at work right now. And I'm like, wait a second. Like it's, it's like lunchtime. And, and I'm like, I can shift this around anyway. So, and I didn't have any meetings for a while and I could get some work done there. And I found that incredibly valuable. And then once I sort of realized that, oh, you know, the time I get a lot of this stuff done doesn't even really matter. And, um, I found that sometimes, you know, we, we've talked about this before in the bod- podcast, but the work-life balance, like there is, I don't think there's really a great definition of that because <clears throat> I will often, like if I take my daughter to gymnastics, usually what pe- parents do is they drop off their kids and then they leave, uh, because they, they don't just want to sit there and spend two hours there, but I can work from there and it's in the evening. And what's nice is I actually don't get any distractions. And, um, what I like about it is because it is sort of in my mind, it's sort of outside work hours. I feel less pressure. It feels far less stressful. I'm just like, yeah, this is extra. Even though I took two hours off before, I know that doesn't make any sense, but there's like this mental thing that that's lifted. Um, so yeah, you're right now being forced inside, um, puts you into a different mental state. And I'm glad you brought up the other point, which was these companies and changing. I mean, there've been companies like famously like Yahoo, they're just like, Nope. Anybody who's remote, that's not cool. Like you have to be in the office. Otherwise you're not productive or, you know, I mean, I guess that's implying what they were saying there, but, um, I'm hoping that this has a dramatic shift and going forward, we might have a reduction in things like flus and colds and stuff like that. Right. Because of, we could be lowering transmission rates there. It's just like going to work and shaking everybody's hand. It's just, um, it's kind of crazy what we do. It's like, we intentionally try to spread all of this uh, stuff around. So I'm really looking forward to this. And I, I think, um, a lot of companies are going to have their employees saying, Hey, remember that time we worked from home for six weeks and everything was great. And we didn't really have any problems after we got used to it. Um, why don't you let us do that again? And the companies are going to have to answer that. And some will be jerks. Um, but, um, I think the world is just, it's going to change after this. Yeah, there's yeah. no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I pulled out a, a random screenshot of that somebody put into a Slack channel that I'm in. It says, we're in week number three of a mandatory work from home. Just finished a weekly town hall with our new CEO. He reported that productivity has gone up since we left the office. Yeah. Just one anecdote, but I think it's yeah. powerful. Yeah. Well, there's actually, um, there's numbers on that out there. Uh, so if you guys are podcast fans and you check out uh, Freakonomics uh, Radio, they just did a huge episode on coronavirus and kind of the economic effects from it. And one of the economists that they had on there was talking about working from home. And they talked about um, a company in China that had, uh, I forget the reason, but they ended up shifting to like from an office environment to a home environment. And they randomized uh, a pool of their workers and sent 500 of them home and kind of studied them for a period of months. And what they found was, like you said, productivity shot up. Um, You would think that being at home, like people would kind of mess around, watch Netflix, play video games, whatever. But really, like you're eliminating your commute time, which is huge. Um, 
you're eliminating a lot of distractions from the office that you're in. So you don't have people walking up to your desk or saying, hey, uh, you don't have people on the phone in the office if you're in an open office kind of carrying their conversation throughout. Uh, you've got your own environment that you're in, uh, which you're comfortable with, that you can work in. And I, at least personally, anecdotally, um, I find like I tend to work more from home because I feel like either I can or I should because I'm working from home or something. So I end up doing, I think, a lot more work from home as opposed to the office where I'm kind of like doing some work and then like take a break do some work, take a break and kind of maybe I'm not as productive in that, in that uh, environment. Um, aside from that, uh, you mentioned some BS advice about working from home. I too have seen that. Uh, yeah. There's an awesome article. I don't know if you guys uh, have, can put this in the show notes, but Darius Foro, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. He wrote an awesome article about working from home and he just kind of says the same thing. He's seen a lot of BS fly around. Like you got to work eight to five, you got to wear a shirt. Uh, or pants or whatever you have to <laughs> make a to-do list and find a, a work buddy or some kind of crap and he says uh you have to adopt a work first mindset so have your goals that you're um planning out for the day up front work on that stuff first and get it done and then from there you can kind of branch out and work on other things uh don't overdo it which i think is huge especially right now um I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talk about like how to work from home effectively or, you know, increase your productivity or whatever. This is not the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, if you don't realize it, um, a lot of people rely on public schools for childcare. Um, people have maybe spouses that are working that have been laid off. Uh, there is a lot of um, stress out there for families. And I hate to tell companies, but not everybody is going to be super productive during a global pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, take it easy on yourself. You know, it, it's okay to be a little bit less productive, uh, at this point in our lives. It, it's just going to happen. Yeah. I so, that, um, to that, to that point, Facebook is giving like, um, basically their best people reviews so that you don't have to worry about your performance during this time. Um, I know our part of the company within Microsoft, um, is, is specifically saying like, Hey, you need to focus on your family. And they're saying, instead of looking at our typical metrics, um, and this wasn't, this wasn't from our leadership down. It was, um, well, it was sort of from leadership, but basically they were saying, Hey, the, the way that we're going to look at your performance is how well you maintain your work-life balance and take care of your family. So, you know, basically again, stressing that, that you need to do that. Cause yeah, like kids are at home and, you know, I have an eight year old and she like, if you, if she doesn't have attention for five seconds, she just starts freaking out. So, <laughs> and, and, uh, school can only keep her busy so long. And she's, she's one where she says the weekends are so boring because she doesn't get to go to school. Um, the, her days at school are actually her favorite cause they keep her busy there. <laughs> so like, yeah, that's, that is a, that is a real thing, but it will pay back in, in spades treating your employees well after this. And if you don't treat your employees well, I am going to be hiring a whole bunch of people that will be remote workers. So <laughs> they will they will be mine. I <laughs> also want to throw out there, uh, since we're talking about working from home and kind of like the, the silver lining of the coronavirus, mm -hmm. uh, there's another subset of developers that their company has taken a, a real beating from the downshift in the economy and have been laid off. So uh, one of my friends um, that's a developer, he just got his first developer job like a month ago. He just got laid off today because his shop has uh, either their clients have dried up or they're just trying to dial things back, uh, kind of get ahead of the economy. 
But for, regardless of the reason, there's a lot of people out there that have lost their jobs uh, over the the pandemic, developers included. So, um, yeah, if you're if your company is hiring out there, like please, you know, share that information on Twitter. Try and help these families out that have lost their income. Um, it's not just, you know, the food service industry or people in, you know, bars and clubs and stuff that are, are feeling this thing economically. Yeah. I have seen like restaurants are getting really creative. Um, a lot of curbside pickup and and things like that. And part of me, I know I, I shouldn't be like angry about it, but I'm just like, it just really sucks that sometimes you, you, things have to get really hard for people to innovate. <laughs> like I wish that these companies would just be more creative like this, you know, kind of to begin with. Um, I know some companies do that. I mean, I want to give lots of companies credit for like trying new things, but, um, this is really forcing everybody to like literally think outside of their restaurant. Right. And, uh, and figure out how to do things. And then like when I lived in Washington, we had a great home grocery delivery service and I think I have it available in my area now, but, um, things like that, um, this hopefully will accelerate those types of things as well and just make it so that you can, you know, focus on spending more time with your family, um, and then maybe even spend more time on, on your work at the same, you know, b- basically being able to do both of those things, have it all spend less time at the grocery store and spend less time, you know, infecting other people. So yeah, I, I hope to see a lot of innovation, um, all around here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to, to add on to that, I saw a friend post a local restaurant. Um, they were selling like a, they're they're like a steakhouse and they were selling basically like a care package and it had like two big sirloins in it and eight hamburgers and like four rolls of toilet paper or something (laughs) silly. So um, businesses are are doing what they can out there, but I'm sure all the servers at that restaurant are not making any money because the the dining portion of it is closed. Yeah. That's unfortunate. That's so I wasn't, I wasn't planning on sharing this. I shared it to you earlier, uh, Jason in our Slack channel, but uh, like one way that uh, uh, restaurants have been creative is my local restaurant. If you look, they've put together new quote packages that you can order for delivery or drop off. And uh, they all include various amounts of alcohol. So uh, <laughs> one is basically 20 tacos, chips and salsa and a six pack or 10 tacos, chips and salsa and two 32 ounce margaritas. <laughs> so, you know, that they're definitely awesome. playing to a certain certain portion of the the local public here but you know it it is those kinds of things you know that you know being creative where you can you know there's Mm -hmm. only so many things you can do i live in a town of a thousand people um you know having a package that like this might entice enough people to keep them in business long enough to see through this Mm -hmm. but i think another thing that we kind of maybe just skimmed on is a lot of people like when we in our field when we went home, not everybody has at home the full working environment. They might be missing extra monitors, uh, nicer keyboards, mouse, you know, maybe even a, a proper place to keep your stuff full time. You know, they might be setting up their work environment and taking it down daily. Um, you know, it, you have that on one end of the spectrum. And then you have more like Jason and I, which have taken years to build out our offices to um, be very similar to a, a work office. So, you know, you have people across those spectrums. We have to realize that some people are going to be affected by not having the right equipment. Yep. Any So, um, Lee, any other comments that, that you wanted to get out there? Any other information you've been dying to share? Yeah, uh, a little bit as far as the medical angle of it. Um, just talking about uh, ventilators and kind of this whole panic about the hospital resources. 
uh, like I mentioned earlier, um, yeah, I worked in the ICU, so intensive care unit, and a lot of that area of the hospital has to do with uh, really, really ill patients um, and really supportive care. So uh, people kind of look at this thing, and there's a lot of comparison to the seasonal flu out there, and I just kind of want to dig into that a little bit and kind of clear up what the danger is with it. So um, basically, you know, the flu gives you fever, cough, whatever, but uh in hospitals during flu season, we see like a huge uptick in patients and uh, admittal, admittance, I forget the word, <laughs> admissions, there we go, mm-hmm. admissions to the hospital. So um, a lot of that transfers also into the ICU. So you'll see patients in the ICU on ventilators, which is a machine that breathes for them uh, with just a case of the flu. So how does that happen? Um, like if you have these risk factors, you're, you know, let's say really overweight, uh, have diabetes, you've got uh, emphysema or bronchitis or chronic bronchitis or something like that, uh, any kind of respiratory problem, and you get an illness like the flu, it's going to kind of overtax your system. You're going to be spending more than you're creating as far as your body can handle, and that can land you in the ICU. And really what we're doing for you is providing supportive care, which is if you can't breathe, we breathe for you. If you can't eat, we're going to feed you. Um, Just kind of take care of everything and let the body heal itself. With the coronavirus, um, what's kind of scary about this thing is it gets into your lungs and the virus not only infects the lung tissue, but it also infects the white blood cells and directs them to attack lung tissue. So uh, I read an article where, you know, in China they were doing a study and found that, I don't know, 20 to 30% of, you know, victims of coronavirus had come out with decreased lung capacity. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're losing you know, lung tissue and it's, it's becoming scarred. And so it's not getting that oxygen exchange. So, um, you know, not only are you losing lung tissue, but whenever it's attacking those endothelial cells, like the lining of your lungs, you're opening up the lung to other bacteria. So other types of infections can go in and attack your, you know, alveoli, which actually exchange the gas to your bloodstream. So, um, you may find a lot of cases of pneumonia that are secondary to a coronavirus infection. So, um, those cases end up in the ICU, they end up on a ventilator, and we just kind of have to wait it out until the body can overcome that stuff or not, right? So um, that's really the danger and why you're reading so much about ventilators and stuff in the news and kind of what a ventilator is and, and why it's so important for this thing. Uh, it could take somebody you know, a week or two weeks or longer on a ventilator to overcome an illness like this. And you can imagine if you've got a hospital like ours here locally in town had like 30 beds in the ICU and not that many ventilators. So um, you can imagine if we've got a county of tens of thousands of people, 100,000 people, and we've got a large portion of you know coronavirus cases, that's easily going to overwhelm our hospitals. So uh, that's, that's really the danger surrounding this thing and why we should all stay at home. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point. Absolutely. Okay. Any other questions, Carl? Yeah, I don't have anything... Uh, additional dad here. I just thought this was a really important conversation to have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, especially, you know, with how much this is affecting everybody's daily lives right now. And uh, what is it? I think if you want to help, I think there is, uh, is it folding at home is doing like coronavirus simulations? Yeah. Folding yes. at home. So I will include a link to that um, to see if they still have some workloads there, but basically you can donate some compute capacity. That's probably that's probably like the least that you could do. Um, <laughs> um, what would be even better is um, I think there's a lot of um, 
they're looking for masks and things like that. So if you have any of those, make sure you uh, donate that those types of things. And usually your local news station will, will link to information uh, for that. But like I said, we'll we'll include a, a link to the uh, to the folding uh, project so that you can uh, take a look at that. Very cool. Very cool. Um, okay, Lee, um, where can people find you if they want to follow you? So you can find me uh, online at leework.com. That's my personal site. It has all my project and stuff on there. Uh, you can also check out my podcast at techjunior.dev or techjr.dev. Um, we're on Spotify and iTunes and all that good stuff. So please give that a listen. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at leeworkjr. Very cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me at uh, Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash ytechie. And I totally avoided uh, saying any antivirus jokes. So yay for me. Uh, but Lee, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on here and <laughs> talking about technology and uh, healthcare and the coronavirus. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. 